Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot Wonders with Adam Phillips. I'm here today with another terrific guest star. This week, it's Paul Copperberg, who's here to talk about a really cool comic. Paul is a prolific comic book writer. He started out as a co-editor on The Comic Reader, which I'm going to guess that put you in contact with people at DC Comics. Uh, one or two, although it was mostly E. Nelson Bridwell. So, you know, you be the judge. <laughs> I met Nelson a few times, so yeah. <laughs> but man, you went on to write a ton of comics for DC, Superman, Action, the great series, The Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, Superboy. You did that fantastic revival of the Doom Patrol, without which we probably wouldn't have a TV show now, if you can even believe there's a TV show. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. I can't. It's crazy. Orion, Lord of Atlantis, the, the very first comics miniseries, World of Krypton. You wrote superpower stories for Jack Kirby to draw. I mean, I can't even imagine writing something for Jack Kirby to draw. Yeah, well, you know, fortunately, I didn't know that Jack would be drawing it when I wrote it. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that probably helped. Yeah. Because otherwise, you'd, I, I would freeze up completely. And then you were an editor at DC in a couple of different areas when I came in I think you were a development editor and then you were a little editor on Wonder Woman and a bunch of other comics uh, yeah uh, I was in the development group originally and then I moved into the DCU and then I moved to licensing I was working on custom comics and, and the like and then I went to uh, another part of licensing and then I went to uh, license publishing and then I got the hell out of there yes to the the very different world of weekly world news correct Yes, yes. Yeah. I uh, I went there as a uh, as executive editor and and writer. Nice. Yeah, that yeah, must have been was, that must have been fun. It looked it like was it was lots fun. of fun. It yeah. was. Uh, I had been writing for them for a while, and uh, you know enjoyed that. And then things were changing there. They were moving the operation from Florida to New York. And Jeff Roven. I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff. Oh yeah. Yeah, Jeff was. Uh, he was Joe Kubert's assistant in the early 1970s, worked in mm -hmm. comics, went on to become, uh, you know, one of the Tom Clancy uh, co-writers. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I did about 10 or 12 of those books. Uh, yeah. You know, lots of stuff. Anyway, he, he offered the job and I and I left. Yeah, nice. That must have been a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah. And then you've, you've done other cool stuff like you co-wrote the uh, Life with Archie Married Life series and... Now you've got a whole raft of books on Amazon that are really interesting and instructional, educational, if you will. And entertaining. Entertainment. It's entertainational. Um, <laughs> Paul Copperberg's Guide to Writing Comics, Direct Comments, which is a book of interviews, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it, right? was, uh, it was the unedited transcripts of the interviews that I conducted for DC's Direct Current newsletter remember that, that oh yeah to get to, I, I like the way you know most of the career my career i'm talking about and and i have to go remember that 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, I wrote that for years. It was uh, given away at the, at the comic shops. Yep. You know, it was articles about what was coming up and a checklist of, of that month's comics. And a feature every month was an interview with one of the, the writers or artists or whatever involved in whatever project was being pimped that month. Right. So um, I did about 90 of those or 90 plus of those over the years. And unfortunately, the unedited transcripts of only about 22 of them survived. I have the I have a lot of the articles that were written, yeah. but, you know, those are trimmed down and and, you know, cut into cute little, you know, PR puff pieces. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the raw transcripts are just I mean, there's nothing, you know, eye opening or really, you know, revelatory in, in, in any of them. But it's just these guys <laughs> talking about their careers and their lives and their and their work in comic books in their own words kind of I, I knew most of these people so yes. when they were talking to me it wasn't like you know i was some schmuck from uh you know from a mm -hmm. fanzine i was some schmuck from dc and, uh, <laughs> yeah. they'd open up to you sure yeah and um, so you know it was just it's a very it, it's a really great portrait of of, of a lot of the, the creators uh, yeah. uh from around 1990 who among them who was like one or two of the ones that you know you were really thrilled to talk to that you uh, gave you stuff you weren't expecting Jerry Robinson. Not oh, that he yeah. really gave me anything, but I was just talking to freaking Jerry Robinson. Yeah, know? that's amazing. I had a <laughs> yeah. I had a great experience with him myself a few, you know, I don't know, yeah. probably ten years ago now. I um, got to be his Day to the Eisner Awards. Oh, nice! And it was fantastic. You know, he's sweet guy, really nice man. Yes, you know, interested and interesting. Yeah. The last time I saw him was at a uh, a New York Comic Con, I guess, mm. and I had recently learned that. He had illustrated and done the cover of one of my favorite books as a kid. Oh, called the magic, uh, it's called The Magic Tunnel. Okay, and, yeah. And, and I got it through the Arrow Book Club in school. And it mm. was a, a story set in the 1960s, but these well, it starts in the 1960s. These kids get on a subway you know, train to go downtown, and something happens, and they're magically transported back to the last days of, of Dutch rule over New York City oh, and cool. get involved with Peter Stuyvesant and all that stuff. It was just, it was a really just a charming kid's book. And it, it kind of, you know, was the thing that that and Johnny Tremaine were the mm. books that kind of opened me up to, to an interest in history. Mm -hmm. But Jerry had done the illustrations, you know, he had done the cover and the spot illustrations inside. Mm. And I was late getting to the convention and I ran off without it. Don't. I was gonna have him... <laughs> and of uh. course, before the next convention, when I would have seen him, he passed. Mm. So oh, he didn't pass. He died. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, pass sounds like it. Oh, did he fart? No, he died. <laughs> he uh, just passed on going to the convention. He, which... he just passed. Yeah, he wasn't going to yeah. go to the con. No, right, it's, uh, right, right. I kid because, you know, I respect nothing. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were telling me the other day about this JSA novel. And I'd mm -hmm. love to hear about that, you know, for the podcast because it was kind of interesting. This is something you wrote some years ago. And it's just got released yeah. recently yeah. it was a, a a justice society of america novel uh, that i wrote in 2005 and mm -hmm. the continuity is a 2005 you know jsa with the team run by you know mr mr terrific was on it and power girl and you know that that, that era uh -huh. and byron price who had licensed a license to do many dc novelizations was going to do a jsa uh, trilogy uh -huh. and 
I knew, you know, I was involved. I was already in licensed publishing, and I edited several other novels for, you know, for 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 this, uh, you know, of that license. So, you know, and and knowing Byron and him knowing my, my desire to write, uh-huh. um, you know, I got the gig, and so I wrote this novel in two thousand and five. Unfortunately, the week before I finished it, Byron also passed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was uh, just a, a traffic accident, and uh, you know that kind of put things up in the air. But I was told, no, no, go ahead, finish the book. We're still, we're still here. We're still publishing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Byron Price's iBooks was the kind of place where it was like most of it was held together by you know spit and glue and Byron's charm. Yes, uh, it was. You know, <laughs> it was not exactly uh, you know on, on stable ground. So right. Uh, it it kind of all fell apart after a certain point, and they declared bankruptcy and closed the doors mm-hmm. the week the book was scheduled to go to press. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally have, you know, the PDF of the book proof and, and the cover, which, you mm-hmm. know, re- repurposed uh, some Alex Ross art. Yeah. Anyway. But now it's out. <laughs> but yes, now it's out. <laughs> you know, arrangements were made and and uh, and and all that, and and I was able to uh, publish it on my own through Crazy Eight uh, Press. Oh, great! And um, yeah, so it's available on 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 Amazon and through me directly. Nice. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm thrilled. It, it's you know, I had to read it again after 15 <laughs> years when, when I decided to republish it, and I wound up having to read. You know, when you're putting out a book. You not only have to write it, but then you have to read it like three to six more times. Oh yeah, before it's actually published. Yeah, and um, and I'm happy to say there, you know, for me, there are other books I publish where it's like I I can't read this again. I just can't take it. You know, this one, <laughs> this one I I enjoyed. You know, it was like okay, I could read this another time. Let's go. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so just so the kids in the audience all know, what's your website where you can order things? It paulcupperberg.com. I can't remember that. Yeah, okay. it's, it's too tough. I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. So we're here today to talk about the one shot of your choice, Secret Origins number one. The from, greatest comic book ever published. It is so great. Uh, it was published June 15th, 1961. And I was just looking at this. I mean, I've, I actually have the uh, replica edition that came yeah. out in 2003 here, which I'm happy to have. But it's in in the center square. It's got the cover has a nine panel grid on it, right? And the center square of the nine panel grid, it says, "By popular demand, a super collection of the most sought after stories ever published." And yeah, this is a a pretty amazing collection. Yeah, oh, I was going to say it's uh, the publisher Irving Popular. He wanted this. <laughs> he wanted this book out. God damn it! Yes, I I think I think put out the book. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was just an amazing collection. They didn't call them eighty-page giants yet; they were still being called special giant issues. When oh uh, yeah, yeah, a short history of the eighty-page giant, just for the, you know, for for the gestalt. And keep in mind, I was born in nineteen fifty-five, so mm-hmm. when these things first hit, I'm five, six years old. Yeah. So you know, sweet spot, you bet. Yeah, yeah. The first giant size, uh, eighty-page. You know, part of this whole thing. I think there were some others scattered in the olden days, you know, these, mm-hmm. these odd sized issues. But this one, the first one was a giant Superman annual 
yes. in uh, the summer of 1960. Right. And Secret Origins actually was the was the third 80 pager published. Ah, okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it was... two Superman annuals, and then oh, okay. in 61 it was Secret Origins was the the third 80 pager. Right. And, you know, it's just chock full of good stuff. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The, you see, 19, okay, again, 1960, there was no internet. You know, now I can go to, you know, two or three different websites and read any old comic book I want to. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're all scanned and they're all up there and in they're, you know, high def and, and they look wonderful and you can, and I can read them. Back right. then, you know, that there was no such thing. You either had the back mm -hmm. issue or you're out of luck. Yeah. And then along came the 80-page Giants, which were exclusively reprints and not a very old stuff either. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at this, the, the first Superman Giant, you know, most of the stories were published, like, you know, after 1956 right. originally. I was just talking about this the other day with Maggie Thompson, and it was sort of a side conversation to an episode we were recording, but how – from what I heard, at least, Erwin Donenfeld was the first person to say, why don't we save the black line of the yeah. film so we can make more comics out of the old yeah. stuff? So, yeah, yeah. That, that's when he started sure. as the publisher, I guess. Right. And also, you know, again, it was a, it was a change in technology. Prior yeah. to that, it was the lead plates. Yeah. Uh, okay. And those right. would get used and then melted down and, and, and recycled. So oh, okay. um, if they had stats of stories, you know, photo stats of stories, mm -hmm. they could reprint them. And they did have a lot. DC had a pretty extensive library, you know, all things considered. Oh, yeah. And uh, in fact, in the early 70s, uh, when they started doing the 100-page uh, uh, oh, Super yeah. Spectaculars, the demand for reprints, you know, to, to fill those pages was so high. They had a process for making art stories usable even if they didn't have uh, stats or or any kind of film huh. and they would uh, they would literally it was a chemical process they would they would bleach the color off the page which meant what? destroying yeah oh <laughs> so this is long before greg Feekson did it yeah 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 Amazing. this was this was the uh, so and then they would make a uh, 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 you know an 11 by 17 photostat of the of the art uh, of the bleach page but there was still lines were broken out and there were big blotches and black spots and, and white spots and, and, you know, fuzzy lines and all that. So huh. they had to have artists manually fix the pages, go, right, you know, right. sit there and, and clean it up. Oh, yeah. And the demand was so high. I was, I had a lot of friends from fandom even before I broke into, into comics myself in 75 mm -hmm. between 71 and 73, Paul Levitz and I were doing these fanzines out of Brooklyn. Yeah. And a lot of fans who came to New York to work at D.C. especially uh, wound up living not too far from us uh, in, in Brooklyn. In fact, you know, Tony Tallon uh, oh, yeah. lived right next door to Paul um, <laughs> on, on East 58th Street. Mm -hmm. So um, and these were the production guys who were getting the, the gigs to clean up these pages as a freelance job. Right. And there were so many of them that they would pull guys like me in. Hmm. Even though, you know, it's like, which end of the brush do I use? <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, I, I worked on a lot of those reprints in the 100 pages, you know. Wow. I, I, yeah. I've definitely wondered over the years about how they managed to do those reprints because that's long before anyone was saving film or 
whatever. And, you know, so thank you for that answer to a question I never thought to ask. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so this book, like you said, it's mostly stories from the late 50s, but it's, you know, it leads right off with the or the origin of the Superman Batman team, which is literally right. the name of the story. Yes. <laughs> so great. Yeah. They did not uh, try to be clever back then. Uh, not very often. No. No, it's like, well, here here's here's the lineup. You've got the secret or the origin of the Batman the Superman Batman team from World's Finest 1958. Yeah. You've got the uh, Adam Strange origin from Showcase in 1958. Mhm. The Green Lantern origin from show from uh, Showcase uh, in in 1960. Right. There's, I believe, it's a tech story. Yeah, boy, what a letdown yeah, that must have been. Yeah, the, the challenges of the unknown. Yeah. No, it was the Green Arrow ones. The tech. Oh, the Green Arrow one, right? But before that, there was the challenges of the unknown. That's right. Yes. From uh, show from Showcase by by yeah. Kirby, uh, yeah. Dave Wood and Kirby. Then there yeah. was a Green Arrow uh, text piece of you know his secret origin. Yeah. Followed by the one of the secret origin of Wonder Woman, one of the very many from that oh, era. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, they would, you know, Bob Kaniger is like, what do I do this week or this month? Oh, I know. I'll retell her origin and totally forget, you know, what he did the last. Uh huh. Week. Yeah. We have to come back to that. <laughs> uh, I love Bob Kaniger. He's one of my favorite people. I, I want to hear about Bob Kaniger. You uh, bet. And okay. then Manhunter from Mars. Yes. Who? From uh, 1955, Detective Comics. Right. And finally, the secret origin, uh, the mystery of the human thunderbolt, the origin of the Flash. Yes. From 1956 is showcased by uh, the aforementioned Bob Kaniger and, and Carmen Infantino and Joe, Joe Kubert, Kubert, who, while talking about Joe Kubert in in uh, in the direct, I also interviewed Carmine for one of those things. Mm -hmm. And during the interview, he's talking about working with Kubert and he's uh, on this very story. And he says, and they gave it to Joey to ink. <laughs> That's great. Now, if you know, if you uh -huh. knew Joe Kubert, yep. there was, if ever there was a guy who wasn't a Joey, uh -huh. <laughs> it was Joe freaking Kubert. Yes. And to yeah. hear Carmine, who they knew each other since they were kids, you know, since yeah, early right. 40s in comics, but to hear Carmine, like, I thought that was the most charming thing in the entire book. You know, it was uh -huh. just that moment of, of him going, and they gave it to Joey to ink. Yeah, that's fantastic. I spent yeah. some, a little time with Joe Kubert at a convention a few years ago. And I like what I used to do at conventions a lot of the time, if somebody was signing and I wasn't too busy doing something else, is if if somebody was signing and they really didn't have a line, I would hang out and chat with the person. Yeah. So you didn't feel too you know, lousy about not having a line. And for, somehow Joe Kubert did not have a line that day. And so I just stood around and, and you know, asked him questions and told him how great he was. But, and, and he was a very nice guy and everything. The but sweetest. I, um, there, there were a few nicer people than Joe. I was, he was my editor for a while on Arion. Oh, okay. Lord of Atlantis. Um, he huh. took, he took it over for a stretch. And so, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, just, That's amazing. Yeah. 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 And he's just like, you know, he, first thing he said to me after he, reinstated me on my own book, which the previous editor had fired me off of because <laughs> I couldn't deliver a plot that satisfied him, although he couldn't tell me what that would take. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was Ernie Cologne. Fuck him. Nah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Joe Ernie got canned or whatever. 
and uh, and Joe was given the title, and he called me up and he said, "Why aren't you writing this book? You created it." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, you'll have to ask Ernie, you know." <laughs> and he said, "Well, whatever, you're back, and you know, Good. you're late." <laughs> After like the, an issue or two, and you know, getting into it and seeing what I was doing, he said to me, "You know, there's too much magic in this book." <laughs> I said, well, Joe, you know, it's a book about a sorcerer, so it's pretty uh, – he goes, let's pull back on the magic. There's too much of that. <laughs> and it's like, okay, he's Joe Kubert. He, and, you know, ultimately what, what I found to myself, Grasshopper, <laughs> was that I was using the magic as a crutch. You know, oh, it was yeah. my ultimate nullifier. It was like, oh, no, yeah. we're stuck. I'll just pull this out of my ass. Right. Know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's interesting. And yeah, you know, so um, I don't know if you know, I'm doing another podcast, Defenders Dialogue. And we've had a lot of discussions, me and my partner on that, about how every once in a while they let Doctor Strange throw a punch. And it's, right. it's a pleasure to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. It, you know, it also grounds the guy. You know, uh, you know, right. I, I'm I, I'm old and I, I'm older and cynical about superheroes. You know, well, yeah. it's like when you do too much of them, you start having to think about it too much. And if you think about superheroes too much, they uh, don't work. Uh, no, they do you not. know, yeah. So, yeah. you know, so it's it's kind of hard for me to to look at them objectively anymore. But um, oh, sure. You know, they're, they're ridiculous. You know, delightful and ridiculous. Well, yeah. You know, since we were talking about Joe Kubert and The Flash, how did it end up that he was inking the story? Because I don't remember seeing Kubert ever, ever. ink anybody else. Ever. So um, you agree with that? Okay. Oh, sure. No, Julie told me. Oh, it was, okay. Uh, it was like this was a rush job. You know, Kaniger wrote it. You know, <laughs> there were all, they were all that, rush jobs on Showcase. Kaniger wrote that first story over lunch. Of course. Uh, so, and it's a brilliant freaking story. It's you amazing, and, and and Sam Raimi should still be ashamed of himself. Uh, <laughs> true fans know what we're speaking of. Uh, um, stealing that uh, that that uh, food tray of food being caught oh, yeah, in yeah, midair, yeah. Um, you know, in front of the, the astonished waitress. You know, that was a uh, that was from the first Flash story. But yeah, it just happened to be it was a rush job. You know, Carmine was no slouch. He could turn out the pages. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, Kaniger kind of is like, oh, you know, Joe, you're here. You're fast. Quick. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it was really just a matter of he happened to be there. And, and it's a shame that he didn't, you know, I'm glad Joe did what Joe did. But yeah. it's a shame that it wasn't more, you know, they didn't team those two up more often because, man. No, it's a spectacular story. Yeah. You know, and the hot dogs look great. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I always thought that that was the – it's a ridiculous and funny sequence of Cassie Without Food. And it's a plate of French fries, green uh, peas, and three hot dogs. Yes. It's like, what is this meal? (laughs) (laughs) And there's also pie and soup and coffee and and bread and butter on the side. Right. Yeah, and and it's another one of you know another one of Bob Kaniger's uh, uh, three panel progressions, I like to call them. Oh yeah, um, yeah. you know he that was his his shtick. Yeah, I, I write a column for Thirteenth Dimension, the the, yes. the, the website, which and, I love. Uh, thank you, Thirteenth uh, Dimension or my column. I, I said your, thank your you. Column. Too, too I mean much. both I really, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 
so I'm, I'm, you know, I've gone back and looked at so much of this stuff, you know, to write different columns. And I've recently did something about, um, I guess it was about, yeah, it was Carmine. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I actually went through and counted the three panel progressions in this one. It was like, you know, he uses it like six times in the entire oh, yeah. comic. It's great. It's brilliant. I stole it, you know. Well, actually, Len Wein stole it, and I stole it from Len Wein. Sure. But still. <laughs> that, absolutely. And this story, I mean, not to dwell too much on the Flash story, but it's such an um, important story because it also, you know, just sort of incidentally sets up the whole premise of Earth 2. Oh, absolutely. You know, when, when you get to, to Flash 123, 21, yeah. 23, uh, the, the Flash of Two Worlds, you know, it's it's a seminal. I mean, it, I think it's I think it's the most important DC moment of, of the Silver Age. Sure. Absolutely. But, and mm -hmm. my own personal, you know, like I didn't read it when it first came out in 1961. Mm -hmm. I didn't see it till about 65 when it was reprinted in the Flash annual. Uh. But. I read that story, and right after Flash whizzes across the bridge, and and finds himself in in um, uh, not Central City, the other city. There's the first thing he does is go to a newsstand and pick up the newspaper, and he goes, "Oh my God, here I am! You know, how did I get here?" And the date on the newspaper is June fourteenth, nineteen sixty one, and my birthday is June fourteenth. Oh, <laughs> All right. uh, that's amazing. Yeah, so here I am, ten years old, reading this. And already knowing the fruit it had borne yeah. because, you know, I'm reading it four or five years after it came out. And, and I've already seen the JLA team-ups, JLA-JSA team-ups, and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the Green, uh, Green Lantern crossovers and the Atom crossovers and all that stuff. So, you know, I know what's, you know, what it leads to. And it wasn't until years later where, I actually, where, where it actually dawned on me that, you know, that the, the multiverse was born on my birthday. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, of course, I was mostly referring to, you know, the fact that in this story, Barry Allen looks at an old Flash comic with Jake Garrick yes. in it and says, and, you know, so then or the yes. whole Earth 2 thing spins out of the fact that they yes. have to kind of explain it. Yeah. Julie, um, uh, Julie claims that he, he did that deliberately. And I think <laughs> I, I don't believe him. Doesn't seem likely. <laughs> no, know? no, it's like, and it's just the type of thing that you know he would, he would, he was likely to embellish. But still, yeah, <laughs> yes. What were some of the other highlights in this this secret origins thing? I mean, um, there's so well, the much good stuff in here. Yeah, the challengers. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's real. It's all of it. I mean, but the challengers is just you know, I was kind of you know, I read the, I was a DC kid. I was, you know, Superman was, was the character that just kind of like, you know, struck a chord in me and, and, and you know, set the bell ringing that is still going. And that, that was off on the, TV at, at the time also. Uh, my first, ex yeah, my first exposure actually, though, was the, the 1940s uh, uh, Warner Brothers uh, Fleischer cartoons. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Warner Brothers or Paramount? No, Paramount. Sorry. Yeah, Paramount. Uh, um yeah um i watched a kid show that was on from 7 to seven thirty, and he would run you know he would sometimes run the superman cartoons and it was excited to watch on our little you know 17 inch uh, uh filco council set <laughs> uh -huh. so i would you know i would go to sleep after watching these cartoons Seven thirty was my bedtime i'd go to sleep yeah. you know with superman flying through my head Mm -hmm. And then when I become, you know, kind of observant enough to, to actually look, 
you go to the candy store around the corner and there, you know, they're against the wall in Flemmy's candy store is this <laughs> rack full of magazines. And there's the same guy, except he's in color. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> late 1950s was a great era for Superman. There's so it was much so, stuff going on. It was that it was that crazy, that crazy uh, uh, Mort Weisinger stuff, you know, yeah. the introduction of, of Kryptonian everything. You know, it's like I'm the last surviving son of Krypton, except for my cousin and her parents and this city full of six million people and the horse right. and the monkey. And the dog <laughs> and the... So, yeah. yeah. But it was uh-huh. great stuff. I, I mean, even that crazy, awful uh, um, um, Jack Schiff, Batman, Alien, you know, Batman versus Aliens and, oh, yeah. and and Mad Scientist. It was all just like, this is great, goofy, freaking fun. I mean, yes. the, the cover uh, of, I think it was the Detective 320 something, like two or three issues before the, 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 new, the new look uh-huh. uh, in, uh, that Julie Schwartz introduced in, uh, mm-hmm. to the book. There was this cover a giant robot head and 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 inside each eye one is batman one has robin and there's this mist this gas raising above them they're on their knees and their hands at their throat going choke we're gonna you know how are we ever gonna get out of here and it's like you know the menace of the giant robot brain and it's like yes <laughs> and yeah. i yeah. leapt at the newsstand yeah. yeah i had to see what the hell this was you know mm-hmm. and you know. and I, I and not only that it also had Martian Manhunter, which was like, oh, yeah. this guy's cooler than Superman. <laughs> wow. Well, he could do everything Superman could do. Plus, plus he green. could turn invisible. Yeah. Plus, he could turn intangible. He was a <laughs> shapeshifter right? and a mind reader. <laughs> so it's like, why is he in the back of a detective comics? And yeah. Superman has 19 books. Oh, well, what do I know? I know, right? And it's also, I always wondered, it's like, so you've got, granted, I have not read much Martian Manhunter, but you've got all these powers and you want to be a detective? Yeah. Uh, and why? <laughs> it's odd. Because you're a Martian. Yeah. And you like hunting men. Um, That's right. <laughs> I, um, I finally got a chance to read a bunch of those Batmans from the late 50s a few years back. and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. They're terrible Batman stories. Yes. But they're pretty good stories. Yeah. It's like you know, it's, if it was somebody else, they would be fine. Yeah. I, I, you know, I um, I also read around 1960, 61 Wonder Woman because mm. at the time, another Robert Kaniger production. Yes. At the time, it was like a total fairy tale. Yeah. It was a kid's book. It was she she it was genies and dragons and and merboy and and bird boy and and that's where you know super tot uh, wonder tot and wonder girl were introduced you know supposed to be right you know different ages not not existing all at the same time until bob forgot or thought it would be cool i've um, heard that and i i'm glad you are confirming it for me because i, I you know that's the story i've always heard and it seemed like Insane, except that it's it's Bob. So it's why Bob wouldn't it be? <laughs> Bob was uh, again? He was one of the most interesting people. He was a very talented writer. I mean, oh, you know, God, yeah. you, you put aside that, you know, some of the crazy shit he did. I think he thought superheroes were as ridiculous. You know, sure. You know, and and you know, his true love was was the war stuff. I mean, and oh, yeah. Jesus, he did some brilliant stories. You know, yes, uh, way ahead, way ahead of his time. And he he was just he didn't 
you know, he was just telling stories. It's like, why right. should this story connect to that story? It's not the same story. It's, you know, it's another, you know, it, it, he didn't grow up with this need to, you know, for continuity and to follow through with everything. And frankly, he was so prolific. It's like, what did I do three months ago? Oh, who the hell remembers? Oh, sure. And, I, always um, feel, I always thought with the war stuff in particular, but probably with all of his writing, really, he and the editors um, at DC probably just did not assume that a kid buying, you know, a comic in April is going to buy the same title in May. So right. there's no real reason to avoid repeating yourself. Right. Right. And even if you did read the same story, you're going to remember. I mean, you know, you're right. watching every TV show is, is practically the same episode every week, you know. Right. Yeah. It's got yeah. different guest stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, you know, it was all just it didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could have three stories in an issue and each story could contradict the others. <laughs> and it didn't matter because you're not going to catch it. You know, like you're, 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 you're eight years old. You're not. You don't have the sophistication to go, now, wait a minute. Right. You know, which is why, like, he, he also created The Metal Men, which mm-hmm. was another, over, you know, uh, overnight. So he, you know, it was like Friday afternoon. Oh, crap, we need something from for uh, showcase. showcase. And yeah. Bob said, you know, Bob, uh, it's your turn. And Bob went home and Monday morning came in with the script for The Metal Men. Oh, which okay. Is, which is, it's I don't know so if he great. had these characters in his mind when he started. You know, before, like, these were something he was thinking about and finally, oh, this is a good place to use it. But these are incredibly, like, rich characters, especially yes. for their time. Yeah, they really are. Uh, and, and the whole concept is just wonderful, you know. Even, yeah. You know, the, the respondometers aside. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's just really incredible, you know, chemo, that giant robot that's just like, you know, a big <laughs> slush pot full of full of chemicals <laughs> well it's a, you know one of the great things with metal men is it's it's really for younger readers and it, it feels it there's no pretension to trying to do something a little more sophisticated in right it. but right. yeah those characters are so elemental literally yeah. yeah you know they all reflect gold is noble and mercury's hot tempered yeah. whatever and it's not like you know it's not like it's it it's not obvious and and but you know nobody did it before him yeah <laughs> Right. I was always amazed also that with some of those titles, like Metal Men in particular, but I think he did a Wonder Woman too, where they, when they had to reinvent them in the late 60s, they just kept him on. He just kept writing the same book, but yeah. he just, it's like, nope, we're going to yeah. change, completely change course and That's now right. make it more sophisticated. It's yeah. like nobody in modern comics would do that today, that you would bring in a whole different writer and artist team. Yeah. And. Yeah. But, you know, he could just turn it around. And, well, but, uh, you know, uh, frankly, any of those guys could. Yeah. You know, they weren't they weren't so married to the concepts, even if it was their own. You know, they recognized mm-hmm. that they were working in a in, in a commercial business. You know, it's the comic book business. Right. Should be a hint. <laughs> but, you know, it was just it was a gig. They were, you know, this was what Bob Haney did to, to put bread on the table. You know, he'd rather right, be yeah. doing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, Kaniger, you know, he, he won some playwriting contest when he was, you know, a yes. teenager. And, you know, he still talked about it. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of like he was he was he was so narcissistic and and <laughs> and and, he, and it was a close talker. He'd like get you in the corner. And he'd tell you these stories in this, you know, very adenoidal, nasally 
kind of effective <laughs> voice. You know, it's uh-huh. like, oh, this, uh, that's my dueling scar. I got it in, you know. I was uh, going to mention the dueling scar. <laughs> he did. He, I, uh, I used Bob as the model for the murder victim in my, uh, in my, <laughs> in my, in my novel, The Same Old Story. Uh, um, which nice. is set in the early 1950s in the comic book business. Uh, and I have the character, you know, you talk about, you know, this is Bob. I got this, you know, in Heidelberg or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and then Bob goes, you know, he later finds out from, from the guy's wife that, no, he, you know, he got whipped across the face with a car antenna when he was a kid. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I, the other way. <laughs> but that's what I always imagine, you know, Bob. And he was always talking about the women and the, this and that. Yeah. And he's very suave, you know. He smoked a pipe. He was well groomed. He was he was a good looking uh-huh. man. Yeah, and and he dressed well, uh, you know, tweeds and and patches on his on his elbows. And mm. I could listen to him for hours. He was just, amazing. you know, just an amazing character. And and just kind of like you know, occasionally he'd talk about the business and the work. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, well, you know, man may be crazy, but boy, he can write. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So here's uh, a Secret Origins question, going back yes. to that for a minute. Who do we think edited this thing? It's credited to Jack Schiff and... Uh, I don't, the, my copy does not have that kind of stuff in it. Yeah. Which it should, but it doesn't. No, I, I believe uh, I believe it was... The second one was, was uh, Schiff and Schwartz. Oh, okay. And this looks like that, you know, the predominant... Oh, okay. It's listed somewhere? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, if it was Julie, then we'd have all the records, of course. Well, maybe not that far back. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was probably something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, again, editing Julie Schwartz, Jack Schiff. So Schiff was, I think, more of an editorial supervisor. Yeah. So I would assume that Julie did the um, most of the work. Uh-huh. I mean, because this was pre-Enelson Bridwell, so there was... You know, he had only been with the company for nigh on 20 years, or 15 years anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, he was just up to putting together reprint packages. <laughs> well, he was also editing, you know, major oh, no, books. Know. Yeah. He, he absolutely was. No, don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah, I, just, I know. I'm amazed at how many but years they all did he was that. at DC to, you know, before he really made a, a, a big impact. It was like the, the Silver Age was really where... Suddenly, you know, everybody, sure. when we look back, Julie Schwartz is like a, an important figure. Before that, not as much. He started at, he started at DC in early 1944. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. And and Showcase, you know, the, the, the Flash number, uh, Showcase number four with the Flash was 56. Okay, so, so it's like 12 years in there. Yeah, um, but, you know, 12. but where was an opportunity to do it before that? Right, yeah. No, I, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I mean, because it was, it was pretty much like standard fare where, you know, they were doing superheroes mostly when he first came on. Well, not mostly. It was probably wasn't more than a third of the line. I mean, there were so many other types of books back then. Oh, the yeah. Time. That's but, true. And they just, did, you know, here's the titles we're doing. Here's the characters we're doing. And mm-hmm. nobody was coming to them, you know. I mean, hell, you know, when, when uh, Aquaman and, and, and Green Arrow were introduced both in the same issue of More Fun, I think it was. Yeah. They were both written by Mort Weisinger, who was, you know, an editor on staff. Right. They were creating, you know, so I don't think they were, you know, looking for, for much in those days. They were just kind of drifting along with what they had. And, <laughs> and, and you know, superheroes were kind of starting to hit 
hit the decline anyway in the in the next couple of years. So. Yeah, that's true. So then Seeker Origins leads to, you know, a couple was there was it one more Secret Origins in the early sixties or was there a couple, yeah. I think? There was more Secret Origins. Right. That was nineteen sixty five. And that was by then the uh starting in nineteen sixty four, they started the DC eighty page giant series. Right. Yeah. So you know, that became number starting with number one and blah blah blah. The more secret origins was eighty page giant number eight. Mm. And that had the the origin of the JLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, Aquaman, Robin, Flash's mass secret identity, and the story of Superman's life. Uh which what what story was that? I mean that was Otto Binder and Al Pastino, I think. Okay. It was from uh for 48, that one. I th- no, 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 that was that was uh Superman's Return to Krypton. Oh, that's what yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. And I think that was boring. That was a story I read. I'm a fanboy motherfucker, don't you yeah, forget no. it. I read that <laughs> when it was reprinted in the early 70s and it blew my mind. Such yeah. a good story. Oh, it's an amazing story for the time, Absolutely. yeah. 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 And that was probably the first thing I ever saw. Wayne Boring, also, and it's it's, you know, pretty mm-hmm. pretty great artwork too. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It's... But then, um, you know, Secret Origins just kept coming back for years, and I mean, it you know, probably culminated in that series from the '80s that ran 50 issues. Yes. So yeah. It, it kind of became its own thing, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was. Uh, it was used. I think there was. A reprint series in the sixties, in the seventies or so. Yeah. Uh, Secret Origins, and then uh, eventually Roy in the eighties started the um, that new run. Yeah, right. which was which was great. Thank yeah, you. and then in the early two thousands we did these replica editions of right. a couple of them, and I loved the fact that they decided to do um, a weird Secret Origins with you know Phantom Stranger and other right. characters like that. That was great. Yeah, we. Um, I I think I was in that department around that time. I, I know mm-hmm. I wrote when they we started doing the what if um, editions. Oh yeah, you know the 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 like you say the uh, whatever kind of you know, the weird secret origins and all that. Weird secret uh, origins, yeah. There was a uh, a blurb on the inside front cover. Yes. Say you know, and I wrote that blurb. So yeah, yeah. You know, it's like I, wrote- I got to touch. I I have my fingerprints on secret origins too. Yeah, I hear you. I um, got to do a little bit of that stuff just because it was one of those things. They they did like a eighty a couple of eighty page giants that could have, should have, would have happened right. in the sixties, but never did. So then they did them in the two thousands, just for right, like the Wonder that. Woman right. and, and all that. And yeah, and there was a there was a Teen Titans one. Yeah, yeah, there was a Blasting Man one too. You're right. There was a yeah. Teen Titans one that I I wrote the inside front cover and the back cover copy because oh, cool. it was like I think Rick Taylor was the editor on it. Yes. And, um, yeah. You know, he he was just like, dude, please write me something quick. Yeah, that was it. Marty Pasco was was running the department at the time, mm-hmm. yes. and uh, you know, be like, quick, quick, we need something. Okay, yeah, right. calm down, calm yeah. down, Marty. It's it's <laughs> all was, gonna work out, right? That was that was that was the mantra. Calm down, Marty. I, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So how did how did Secret Origins like direct your you know, your life as a comics fan, if you know what I mean. Like what, you, you know, wh- wh- where did it point you? Uh, it started, it, it kind of point started pointing me towards the, the history. Mm-hmm. 
you know, looking back at this stuff. Um, you know, like I say, I was a DC fan. I, I read the Marvels, but, you know, even though Timely and, and Atlas had been around, uh, you know, almost as long as, as National and DC Comics, uh-huh. the Marvel Universe didn't have a history, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was older than the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Right. So it's like, yeah. oh, you know, like I'm, I don't have anything to look into here. Uh-huh. You know, the, the captain, it didn't seem, you know, the, the, the whole timely thing seemed very separate and distant. There was no like continuity like DC had because DC kept publishing superheroes throughout the drought, the 19, late 40s and, yeah. and 50s and superhero drought. You know, the only comic, the only superheroes to be continuously published mm-hmm. in all of comics through the 1950s was 40s and 50s into the 60s was Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Yes. And as backup features, conveniently, Mort Weisinger created them, remember, Green Arrow mm-hmm. and Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> that is convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, you know, DC had this continuity in this history Marvel didn't it didn't feel that way to me. I mean, of course, you know, they, they have that whole, you know, they, they have their, their 1940s, you know, their golden age history as much as D.C., but it didn't feel like it connected uh, uh, the uh, same way the D.C. stuff did. Yeah. And I just became, you know, deep diving fanboy. And then then 1965, Jules Pfeiffer's books comes out. Oh, wow. The great comic book heroes and boom, I'm done. Yeah. It was the thing that made me go, I want to do that. Yeah. His introduction, mm-hmm. where he talks about what it was like to be a kid breaking into the business in the 40s and, you know, the, 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 the impoverished, you know, hard, desperate times. But, you know, the, these, these, you know, guys getting together and renting a motel room for the weekend and creating a 64 page comic book over the <laughs> weekend to deliver Monday morning is like, yes, this, you know, yeah. I want to be. And, and, um, uh-huh. you know, so it's all, it's book, all of a piece. Yeah. It's yeah. an amazing book. Yeah. I, I loved it too. I read it, a, a library copy, yeah. um, probably when I was eight or something and I did, but I didn't know when it was published. I, you know, yeah. I don't my, have a copy of it anymore. Sadly. My, <laughs> my, my friend, Steve and I rotated taking it out of the library for months. <laughs> like I'd return it, yeah. he'd take it out. He'd return it. There was a, a Xerox machine in the library. Okay. I guess this is 68, 60, and uh, it was a dime a copy. Uh-huh. But we would like one at a time Xerox those 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 stories out of that, oh, um, just to have them, you know, like because couldn't get the book, you know, it was too expensive. I say st- mm-hmm. I, th- I still have those Xeroxes somewhere. Uh, amazing, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you saw they re- uh, Fantagraphics reprinted it yes. sort of, and it's a little sad. Well, it's got, I bought it uh, because it's got the essays in it. And and as great as the stories are, and, you know, uh-huh. again, 1965, you weren't seeing this stuff anywhere else. You know, no. there was like, holy, you know, the spirit. What the hell I was, was just that? I was going to mention, right. You know. Yeah, um, the spirit was something else. Right. But but again, it was that essay. You know, it was, yes. it was, that, it was that, That's that, the that introduction. You're, you're right. It really is. I, to me, you know, I, and. So I, I did buy that just because it's an easier to handle and read, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, makes sense. Uh huh. Cool. Well, is there anything else you want to add about Secret Origins? Because we can talk about Adam Strange being drawn by Mike Zukowski. I love for that. Example. 
because it's fantastic. As much as I love Carmine's art on it, sure. That one story that um, Sikowski he, drew. He so did. He did beautiful. the. Uh, he did all three showcase issues. Oh, was it all three? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And Carmine. Uh, so yeah, no, I I love Sikowski. I mean, Mike Sikowski Me drew the JLA. Yeah. And as far as I was concerned, JLA was like it. It was. Yeah. You know that was. You know, it was the first. It was one of the first comics I collected. You know, like to to get it all. You know, it was like the uh-huh. first one was uh, I started collecting action comics for the Supergirl backup because I love the Supergirl strip. Oh, okay. um, it was one of the few strips at DC at the time that was had any kind of continuity to it. Yeah, I guess that's true. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Binder and uh, actually Jerry Siegel. Uh, yes. And, and Otto Binder. Were, no, it was Siegel. Yeah, it was Siegel by that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Binder wrote the first story, I believe. But yes. But yeah. So, you know, but. Then came JLA and like Sikowski is quirky, but oh yeah, but I always had a thing for quirky artists. I mean, there's you know Sikowski and I love Paul Reinman art. You know, shoot me. Um, <laughs> um, that, I can that, hardly think of what he what he drew that wasn't you know something he just was inking. No, so. he well he did a lot of stuff for Archie Comics in the mid '60s. He did oh, he did yeah. practically their entire Mighty Heroes line. That's right. I Him and Jerry that. Siegel were writing it. Yeah, 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 you're right. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. I, I mean, I love Sikowski for sure, and but I, you know, as a fan, going back and reading those stories much later, I always um, felt if he didn't have to draw 19 characters every panel, it might yeah. look a little better. And when you see this kind of thing, like this Adam Strange story, where it's just a few, it's like it's open, it's more open. Oh, sure. More, more you know. Everything doesn't it doesn't feel crammed in, right? Well, um, you know, my take on it was yes, there was always seventeen panels, uh, seventeen characters in the panel, but he managed to make it work, you know. Um, and uh, that's true, yeah. You know, uh, Dick Dillon, who followed him, mm-hmm. was also like, you know, I guess after thirty years of drawing Blackhawk, um, <laughs> you know, he was used to drawing big groups, yeah, but right. you know, he also managed to make it like. How do you fill the page with, you know, 96 characters and it's still like there's room for dialogue, you know, room for the balloons. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, Dick Dillon must have been after, – after drawing Blackhawk, he must have felt like at least these guys aren't all in the same costume. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, never, never got to meet him. Oh, no. Okay. Or Sikowski. No. But, I mean, I love Sikowski's work on the later stuff, Wonder mm-hmm. Woman and Supergirl and Metal Men that – Followed. Yeah, and later, fantastic. and that showcase stuff he did. Uh, oh yeah, you know, Jason's Manhunter Quest. 2070 and and Jason's Quest. I own yeah. a page from Jason's Quest. I oh, was, cool, cool. I only bought it like a year and a half ago it was at Heritage Auctions, and wow. nobody was jumping on it. And I was like, really? Yeah, it was. I think I only paid about seventy dollars for it. It's gorgeous. get the hell out of town. Wow, I know, right? Really good. Yeah, I yeah. was thrilled. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, he he was um again he was a uh, you know. Just an original thinker. He didn't. He didn't draw like, you know, like anybody else. And you, you know, I did a, I did a column on him for Thirteenth uh, Dimension, and cool. you know, I'm looking, I'm looking back at his stuff from the, from the early '40s, and it's like, wow, what a change! And you could see the change. You know, it's yes. like suddenly it's like, there he is. You know, there's the yeah, Mike Sikowski yeah, yeah. we've come to love. But, you know, <laughs> they all started out looking like everybody else. I mean, oh, Kurt, yeah. Kurt Swan 
started out ghosting Jack Kirby on Boy Commandos. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, and it's like, yeah. and if you look at you look at the stuff, it's like, yeah, that's Kirby. You know, mm-hmm. that that's Kirby stuff. You know? Sure. So, yeah. So many of these guys, also a lot of them, started out aping uh, Kniff. Yeah. And then they, you know, like Infantino and Alex Toth, and um, then yeah. they they go off in their own directions and become, you know, fantastic artists in their own right. Well, those were the guys, you know, there was there, there was Carmine and there was Gil Kane and uh, mm. Toth, uh, Eisner. You know, these guys, they, they just started, you know, they all started kind of at the same place as everybody yeah. else. But, you know, they continued to grow. I mean, I think Joe Kubert, Alex Toth and Wally Wood uh-huh. just kept getting better and better, mm. you know. Until yeah. the uh, until the day they died, um, you know, Joe never yeah. lost a step. Eisner nope. never lost a step. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are real giants in the field. Yeah, you know? yeah. Someday we'll be looking back at you know the generations that followed and say, you know, those guys were so great too because of course they they are in their own right, you know. Oh sure. I mean, and you know, uh, where are we? I mean, I mean, Jesus, the, the comic industry is. Is you know eighty just a little over eighty years old. Mm-hmm. I've worked in it for forty six years, uh, yeah. but <laughs> you know, but the, the even even at its lowest, you know, there were still guys in there doing stuff. Yes, you know, there was you know Mike Sikowski and 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 Gil Kane and 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 a bunch of these guys. They were over at like you know uh, uh, Dell. And doing, uh, you know, movie oh, yeah. adaptations and, and stuff you don't even think of. Uh-huh. Um, and just turning out this brilliant work. You know, Steve Ditko at yeah. Charlton doing right. these incredible stories in the, in, in, the, in the 60s, you know. Yeah. On into the 70s. He was just like, you know, leave them alone. Let them create. And they came up with this amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was reminded recently of how Ditko and Sikowski in particular would draw things like, you know, the man, the man from Uncle or Get Smart comics yeah, in the yeah. 60s, too. And yeah. they were great. They looked fabulous. I, I had posted something recently where I was talking about why is there not a comic book version of uh, What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah. Which I don't know if you've seen that show, if you yeah. like it. But, yeah, I you know, do. man, it's fantastic. And a comic book version of that would be great. But I said I would only accept it if it was drawn by either Ditko or Sikowski. <laughs> uh, because... Th- a Sikowski version of those characters would look amazing. Yeah, well, you know, he did great, and he also had this kind of humor style that was very much still, you know, Mike Sikowski wasn't any more or less cartoony, but you know, like stuff from Inferior Five and and the oh, Maniacs yeah. uh, that uh, created by E. Nelson Bridwell, you know, another yes. another unheralded hero of, of DC Comics in the, in the oh yeah in the bronze, uh, you know, the Silver and Bronze Age. Really talented guys, uh, just kind of churning out these pages in, right. in whatever genre you handed them. You know, they did westerns and romance, and I mean, you know, talk about the the nineteen early nineteen sixties uh, DC romance comics. You know, you had Johnny Ramita, you had you had Gene Colan. Yeah, can you imagine if Mort had gone down the hall to Dorothy <laughs> Wolfolk's office and said, "Hey, I want to borrow Ramita for a few issues of Superman." Yeah, right. Oh. I would have been. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, but and they were there, you know. Gene Colan yeah. was there. Yep. I know it's funny how they relied on their 
little groups, their mm-hmm. little, you know, everyone had their fist, stables. their fiefdoms. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, are you going to be going to near Comic Con, Paul? Uh, I have to quote William Goldman: uh, uh, "I'm too old for this crap." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it just. Um, more than I'm willing to deal with anymore uh, going to a comic convention. Yeah. Uh, well, I like I the one I go to every year is Terrific Con in, in Connecticut. It's Mohegan Sun. Oh, okay. Uh, I think is, I saw you talking about that. Yeah, it's it's a really well run show, and it's it. You know, I mean, it's still twenty thirty thousand people, but compared to New York, you know. Uh huh. And and well, I re- I just thought because you're in the area, but you yeah. Know. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, when I started going to Comic-Cons, you know, Phil Suling cons in 1971. Oh, yeah. You know, it was like two or 3,000 people, and we thought that was the whole world, you know? Yes. Yeah, my first convention was uh, the Mighty Marvel Comic-Con in 75. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I went for one day, and I had about 20 bucks in my pocket because I didn't know what I would be able to spend or, you know, what right. things would cost or whatever. So I blew through that in about two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I saved up a whole year for my first Comic Con. <laughs> I put three three dollars a week into a, into a sock in my drawer. Ah, and I had I went to my first New York Comic Con with one hundred and fifty dollars, burning oh, a hole in my jeans. You know? Smart, smart man. Though. Oh yeah, man, and you know. I, I was going to do the, the parable about the grasshopper and the, yes, I'm the grasshopper. So, you know, doing that <laughs> even back then was, uh, uh, was, was, was quite a surprise even for me, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but I had a great, I came home, I, you know, it was a three day thing and I, uh-huh. every day I'm coming home with like, you know, a three foot stack of, of comics. It was, it was just great. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Paul, I hope to run into you one of these days. Yeah, it's um, been a while. It has been. Of course, if you're not going to conventions, I don't know how we'll manage. But um, uh, eventually we'll And if I see you lurking around my neighborhood, there will be trouble. I'll try to avoid it. Anyway, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been fun. Thanks. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to One Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another One Shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.